for now. So why not, right? All right, let's pray before we read God's word. God, we pray that as we hear this word, your word, to us, um, that our hearts be open to receive it and to learn from it and hear it and really let it sink in to our hearts and our minds and our lives. Pray that your spirit would, would give us that, just that enlightenment, that spiritual recognition of the things that are spoken and revealed by you. And uh, pray that you would show yourself to us more clearly and give us a heart of faith to turn to you in all things. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, do I have to? Maybe I do need to hide it. But <laughs> uh, so we are looking at 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, chapter 2 was, the, was actually on our lectionary reading selection we could have read from today. And I was studying for it, and I said, I think this needs to be two sermons. So we're going to have 1 Samuel chapter 1 today, and next week we'll look at chapter 2. And uh, so here this is, if you, you probably see the heading in your Bible, the birth of Samuel, uh, but primarily we're going to be focusing on the prayer of Hannah. So here is the account from Scripture. There was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. And therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? 
put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And as long as I can remember, since early childhood, I've loved reading First and Second Samuel. Not just because my name's Samuel. <laughs> uh, I think a large part of it is because many of the, especially First Samuel, the stories begin with stories about children. And when you're a child, you love stories about other children. We think of the boy Samuel in the temple. And he hears the voice of God in the night, and he's so confused. <laughs> and we think of the shepherd boy, David, fighting Goliath. Stories of children, and we still love them as adults. And, but now that I'm a father, I've also learned to appreciate much more the story of Hannah and her prayer for a son. Um, and these events here, they set the tone for the whole rest of the book of First and Second Samuel because they point to the living God who has compassion for those who are poor and lowly but are trusting in him. And it shows us he, he delights to answer their prayers. And it's prayer that we're really going to focus on this morning. And I know many of us, we find it difficult to, to make prayer a habit. Um, but in this scripture, we learn much about prayer. We learn why to pray, and how to pray, and we also learn where the faith to pray comes from. So first question, why pray? Why pray? And I, I know most of you probably don't need any convincing to pray, but it's still good to remind ourselves why pray. And first of all, we pray because we all have troubles. Uh, when we look at Hannah's troubles here, um, we, we will find, as we dig into them and study them, we'll find parallels with our own troubles. And, and the scripture here is very concise in describing them, so I'm going to add some cultural context so we just help us realize the significance of her troubles. Um, so we get back into this. So Elkanah, the husband, he has two wives, Hannah and Penina. And Penina has borne many children, but Hannah is barren. And bearing children in this society was, was an honor. It was, it was the wife's contribution to the good of the family, to the good of the whole society. It was something only she could do. It was a great honor and blessing. Um, but also, if a woman could not bear children, then many thought that she had been cursed by God. And so they often rejected 
woman who could not bear children. And now the name Hannah means favored one. And so the story already is, is setting up here a paradox for us because Hannah is the favored one. She's supposed to be favored, but she appears rejected. And so we're faced with a question. A, a suspense is set up right away. Will this change? Will she become favored? How will this reverse? And, and now we're shown that she is favored by her husband, uh, but we will see later that that is not enough. And now the husband, Elkanah, um, cultural context tells us that he was very likely a very wealthy man. And we, we can presume this because he could afford to have a second wife and pay to, to feed her and all her children, um, their, their, her, his children with her. Um, now, that the whole fact of having two wives might, it should seem very odd to us, um, but we must remember that this is narrative. He's it's a description of a history. So it's describing what was, not necessarily what ought to be. But if we look at the history of that time, we see that having a second wife in that culture and the surrounding cultures was not uncommon, especially for the wealthy. And circumstantially, it may, might be that if the first wife could have no children, the man sometimes took a second wife because children were essential to society and to, to thriving and flourishing. This does not excuse his practice at all. It just... It might maybe helps us explain it and understand it. But we should also know that if Elkanah had been reading Genesis carefully, he might have known that this would lead to a lot of trouble, which it did. Because we see that Penina hated that Elkanah still favored Hannah. And so she mocked her. And, uh, and I, I noticed that all their names end with Nah, Elkanah, Hannah, Penina. And so I think I just remember Penina taunting Hannah. Nan, na, 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 na. So that's how I'm going to remember their family here. So she, but it tells us she mocked her. She antagonized her. She insulted her. I mean, so she attacked her, her personhood, her worth, her well-being, everything about her. And this made Hannah so depressed that she wept and refused to eat. And her husband's response was, why are you sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Now, it's not clear from this, from, from what he says here, if, if, if he's saying this out of sincere love, or, or is he saying this out of a total ego trip? Like, like maybe, he's, maybe he thinks he's God's gift to a woman, and he's trying to be really smooth here, just trying to go, hey, baby, I love, my love for you is greater than ten sons. But he could be very sincere. You know, he could be very sincere here saying, you know, just, sweetheart, I, I love you so much. I love you forever. My, I love you more than 10 cents could ever love you. It could be, could be very sincere here. Um, but, but I will say that in the Bible narratives, they're usually, they give you clear clues when a character is, is wicked or righteous, whether he, when he's a jerk or a noble person. And everything about else here tells us that Elkanah, it, it speaks over of, of his devotion to God as his whole lifestyle. 
And so I, I think we should just assume the best about Elkanah here and his intentions and his heart in this conversation. Uh, we, we should assume the best about him, but <laughs> regardless of his intentions, this was the wrong thing to say. Why are you sad? It's about, but when he knows it's about the children, I mean, he says, is my love for you not better than 10 children? Like, so he knows it's about the children or, or the lack of children. And it's just the wrong thing to say here. I mean, so, so we should take some wisdom from this. When someone is sad, don't question the emotion, like as if the emotion should not be there. Uh, instead, sit and listen. And when you've sat and listened, then you can offer truth about why maybe someone shouldn't listen to what their nasty rival is saying. You know, then, then you can speak truth in there. However, uh, Elkanah didn't even offer truth there. He offered his affection, his love, and his love was not enough. His affection could not solve Hannah's problems or fill the hole in her life. But this is a clue that maybe there is something that can. And we'll get to that. So now, in the, with this context now, the depth of Hannah's troubles becomes plain. Uh, Hannah's whole life purpose is barren. She feels incomplete. She wonders if she will ever be whole, if, if her personhood and, and person, purpose in life will be realized. And, and much could be said about the blessing of motherhood and children and the uniqueness of women. And, but if we, if we dove all the way into that today, that would take us pretty far off our, our topic of prayer. But, but I can't say nothing about it here, because it, it, it's so central to the matters of this, of this scripture here. But I, I, I think it's enough to say that motherhood is a noble role unique to women. But also, women are more than motherhood. And they're fully women whether they're mothers or not. But this, this more, the fulfillment there, is not found by rejecting motherhood, which the broken world around us wants to suggest to find that fulfillment by rejecting motherhood. The fulfillment of our person is found in the living God. And that's where we must look. And that's where Hannah must look. Hannah, then all full context, now we've looked at her, studied her troubles, we see that Hannah is unfulfilled. She is tormented by a rival she never asked for. Her husband seems to expect that she just ignore these troubles and put on a happy face. And these are troubles that we can all relate to. Unfulfilled purpose, unfulfilled personhood, this affects both the humble and the great. I'm reminded of a, of a quote from a, an interview with Tom Brady from 2005. And he was asked by Steve Croft about being satisfied in life. And here's what Tom Brady said. He said, there's times where I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? And Croft said, asked him, well, what's the answer? 
And Brady very sullenly or very despairingly said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And uh, we see 17 years later, he's, it appears that he is still trying to find it because he st- can't retire, he can't give it up, he's still trying to prove something, um, losing a lot more of his life, it appears like, in that pursuit, that, that hole he just can't fill. And so the fulfillment of our lives is not found in our great accomplishments. It's found in the God who made us. And I think Hannah knew this. I think she knew her scriptures. I think she knew the stories from Genesis of Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel who were barren as well. And she knew that their barrenness was not a punishment or a curse. She knew that God heard their prayers and gave them children. And she also knew the story of Leah. Leah never won Jacob's love through her children. And Leah was only at peace when she looked to God. And so Hannah, knowing this, didn't fight with her rival. She didn't reject her husband. She didn't reject herself or reject motherhood. Instead, she turned to God in prayer. So why pray? Because we have troubles. We have things we cannot fill up no matter how many treasures we, of this world we pour into it. We pray because we need God. And we also pray because God hears and he cares. Hannah prayed to God because she had faith that God did hear and he did care. And she knew this from scripture. And we see God's compassion realized in Hannah's life. He heard her and he granted her a son, Samuel. And it's recorded a couple chapters later that then from there she bore many more sons and daughters after that. And we pray also because it gives God an opportunity to grow our faith. Uh, Verses 17 and 18 cannot be missed. The high priest Eli said, go in peace and may God grant your petition. And Hannah ate and she was no longer sad. Hannah took that as God's word to her. The priest spoke for God. That's the role of the priest does. Speaks to God for the people and speaks to the people for God. He said, go in peace. And she went in peace. All the affection and comfort of her husband had no effect on her heart. But because Eli, <laughs> because the old priest Eli said it, now suddenly all is well, there, there is no explanation for that except the power of God's word. God works faith in your heart by his word. And when we bring our troubles to God, he answers them both by his word and by his providence. And it's in his word that he brings peace into our hearts. And we see that it is God's love that's better than ten sons. Having children, that was Hannah's self-fulfillment plan. But every one of us comes with our, with our own self-fulfillment plan. And whatever your self-fulfillment plan is, God's love for you is better. And his love brings lasting contentment and peace in your heart. 
And Psalm 31, 7 says, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. And Psalm 36, 7 says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And Psalm 63 3 says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So we pray because we have troubles. We pray because God hears and cares. And we pray because God gives us faith. We pray because his love is better than self-fulfillment. These verses also teach us how to pray. How do we pray? First of all, we see that prayer must be a lifestyle. Hannah's prayer to God is actually, it's the culmination of a lifetime of prayer. We see this because the, we see that the family, the whole family faithfully went up to the tabernacle every year to offer sacrifices and prayers to God. So this was their way of life. They were faithfully devoted to God. Now, not, not every prayer was, the, was this was this pouring out of all these terrible emotions and pleading with God. Uh, from from this, a whole lifetime of prayer, only this prayer and then her prayer in chapter 2 are recorded in Scripture. But these two prayers that are highlighted, they are preceded by a lifetime of prayer. And when then, when her rival finally just overwhelmed her with grief and her husband just could not comfort her, where did she turn? She turned to God. Prayers to be the regular practice of our lives. And uh, if you're looking at Decision Magazine, which we get mailed here every month, they, uh, there's a series of articles right now uh, written by Pastor Andrew Brunson. And he was imprisoned in Turkey for many years. Um, and he writes in some of these articles um, that he and his wife experienced through his imprisonment, that their, all the prayer, of the, their whole lifetime of prayer leading up to this had been storing up strength in their souls, preparing their hearts, their souls for the troubles of his imprisonment. And when that, that troubles came, that was, a, that was a storehouse of strength in their soul that they could call upon. So prayer is not just a response to life's troubles. It prepares our souls to endure them. And therefore, prayer needs to be our, our lifestyle. It needs to be a, a daily practice. And when we pray, we also see that we, we look to God alone for salvation. Hannah was not praying to a multitude of gods and, and, and the God of Israel was just one of them. No, she worshiped God alone. Hannah knew that God was the giver of life, as we, as we talked about earlier. God alone gives life. And he alone could reverse her troubles. And our attitude in prayer must be similar. We must look to him as our only God and Savior. It's, it's something we talk about in, in confirmation. Um, that, that what does it mean that he is, that there is one God? means that he alone is the one you look to for your salvation. You're not looking for salvation, anything else. 
But that also means then that you pray with expectation. And, and the answer might not come exactly in the form that you asked for, but we expect that God will answer in his own time and his own manner. Um, we also see in this narrative that our emotions are safe with God. Um, Hannah just poured out all her anxiety, her grief, and despair before God in prayer. And she, she so much so that the priest thought she had to be drunk. <laughs> just so just the, the, the distress, the, the, the intensity of her emotions. And then this doesn't mean that every prayer, you know, has to be that emotional. Mo emotions are not the, the key to prayer, but they are welcome in prayer. When you need that, you can share all your heartaches and sorrows and griefs and despair, your frustrations, your anger. You can share that with God. He can take it. He loves and treasures your soul, and he will care for it better than anyone else will. And then we also, in prayer, we must acknowledge God. We submit to him. Hannah promised to dedicate the son she would receive to serve God all his life. That, that's what the razor and the hair meant. You know, the no razor shall touch his head. That was, this is, that was a sign of the Nazarite vow. Uh, the, and the Nazarite vow was a vow any Israelite could take, either for their whole life or temporarily for a season of life, to dedicate that life or season completely to God's service. And during that time, they would not cut their hair. And if you think of uh, the stories from the judges, Samson, that was, he was dedicated. That's what, my strength comes from my long hair. Well, he had, he had never cut his hair because he was supposed to have been uh, dedicated to the service of God. Uh, a dedication that he ignored in every possible way except for the cutting of his hair. <laughs> so Samson's not a good example of following that vow, <laughs> uh, but that's what the hair, the hair cutting means here. So Sam, Samuel was then going to be completely dedicated to God, but I don't think this was a negotiation tactic like, hey God, if you give me this, I will give something to you. I think she was acknowledging that life comes from God and therefore Life must be lived for God. And so she was submitting this life that would come to God. She knew that this child that would come would not ultimately belong to her, but ultimately must belong to God and therefore must serve God with his whole life as all our lives should. And so she was praying that God's answer to her prayer would serve his kingdom and result in praise back to God. So when we pray, we ought to pray that God would be praised in our lives, that, our, that the answers we're praying for would praise him. And this is much like Jesus taught, because Jesus said in the, in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so these, all these practices should mark our prayers. Prayer should be a lifestyle. Prayer should look to God alone for salvation. Prayer shares your heart with God. And prayer acknowledges God and submits to his purposes. And then I debated how to, to phrase this third point here. I was like, well, okay, do I talk about what you should expect from prayer? 
Do I tell you to pray in faith? And I, I think the important question to answer is, where does faith for prayer come from? Where does faith for prayer come from? Where does the faith to pray come from? And faith for prayer comes from God's word. Because it's in God's word that we learn about God's character, about who he is. It's there that we learn that he hears you, he cares for you, and he saves. And as I said earlier, I, I think Hannah knew this truth from Scripture. God's word gave her faith to pray to the God who hears, cares, and saves. Psalm 10 Verses 17 and 18 says, O oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We see through God's answer to Hannah's prayer, her life became a new testimony to her people. The Israelites could look at the birth of her son Samuel and see the work of the God who hears and cares and acts to save. And another reason that I love the story of Hannah is I find such striking similarities between her story and the story of Mary the mother of Jesus. Both of them have a very similar attitude with God. They approach God with humility and with faith. You know, God, I am your servant. Show, show favor upon your servant. Both miraculously give birth to a son given by a miracle of God. Both have a, a prayer of praise to God recorded in Scripture. Both both are magnificent prayers that are just a, a delight to read. And in both cases, the son is set apart before, from before birth for God's special work. And so we see that the prophet Samuel, he is a, a type of Christ. The work of Samuel, his life and work points forward to the perfect work of Jesus Christ that saves us. And when we look at Samuel, well, Samuel was the son given to the service of God to establish a kingdom. We'll see that later in the book of Samuel where he establishes the kingdom under King Saul. And, he's the, and he also is the one who establishes them under the righteous king, King David, a king who would deliver Israel from all their troubles, in this case the Philistines, and who would bring them into God's peace, God's shalom, his kingdom of peace. So Samuel's work points forward to Jesus Christ's perfect work. But instead of Hannah promising to give up her son if God would save her, God gave up his own son in order to provide salvation for all people. Jesus Christ is the great reversal. Jesus then came to establish the kingdom of God on earth. 
We see here that over and over in the Gospels. The kingdom of God has come. He came to deliver all people from all nations from the power of sin and the devil. And he did this by dying on the cross for the sins of all people. And on that cross, he took all our troubles, all our sin, all our unbelief on himself. He removed our sin. He removed, he tore down anything that might come between us and God so that we could have fellowship, relationship, communion with God. And after three days, he rose again from the dead. So he was more than a prophet. He was the Christ, the Messiah sent by God, fully God and fully man, the Savior of the world. And he ascended into heaven and is right now seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty where he is your priest, your interceder who prays for you. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25 says, the former priests, and we think we could think of Eli here, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is God's word for you. Your prayers are heard for Jesus' sake. And he is your high priest who prays on your behalf, who brings your prayers to God forever. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So how can you have faith to pray today? Faith that God hears you and cares for you and acts to save you. All these are answered in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ we see that God hears and cares and saves. And it is the word of God's steadfast love, the word of the gospel that gives us faith to pray. So I'll pray. My hope is that each of you would turn to God every day for your every need, big and small. And may he grant you your petitions and fill your heart with lasting peace. Amen.